Man, hey guys, good morning. How we doing? Good. It's uh, it's so fun to be with you guys today. It's uh, it's always a blast to come up here and see old friends and make new friendships. And I kind of feel like, have you ever uh, have you ever found a band before anybody else heard them, and you're like really stoked when the band starts being listened to by tons of people? I feel like that about Sacred Mission. Like I had the T-shirt first. And I'm so proud. I'm so proud of what God's doing through you. And I just want to say a couple of things before we pray. Like, first of all, I want you guys to know that what God's doing in this particular moment is not the -the run-of-the-mill usual thing that happens with church plants. I I get to love and serve and encourage church planters all over the country and some good friends in the UK and in other countries. And what God's done in two years here is nothing less than a miracle of his grace. And in a cultural moment where there's so many bad things happening and there's so many people freaking out and there's so much of creation that's groaning, you guys can look around and see evidences of grace all around you, that God is working in this community and he's doing things that are not just for you guys, which they are for you guys, but he's doing things right now that are going to be foundational for the next decade in the life of this church. And I think maybe just maybe God's wanting to do something among you guys that doesn't just affect Collins Maxwell, but then spreads out to other communities that have been forgotten by church planting that are full of precious people that Jesus loves and cares about. So I want you guys, I want you guys to know in the midst of this that yes, he's changing lives and he's inviting people to experience God's grace, but this isn't just about you guys. This is also about communities like this all over Iowa and I think in other states and other regions that you guys are gonna get to affect and love and serve and send church planters and wisdom and prayers to for the next decade in the life of this church. So thanks for letting me be here. I really do love you. I respect you like crazy. I think Tim Kimberly is one of the best pastors I've ever met in my entire life. He loves you so much and he loves this church so much and I'm so glad that I get to be here. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter one. If you're new to your Bible, that's in the New Testament and it's one of the four gospels which are accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and we're gonna be talking about the call of discipleship. So I'm gonna pray for you. I'd ask you to pray for me and we're gonna dive in and do some work. Father, we wanna stop right here. We wanna pause. And in the midst of everything going on in our lives and in our city, in our country and in the world, we wanna just say thank you. Thank you that in this time and in this place, you're moving. And I pray for friends in the room that might not feel like you're moving. I thank you that even when it seems like you're hidden, Even when it seems like you're quiet, you're always working. So Lord, we ask you to do something deep in our hearts today. We ask that you would meet us and feed us and encourage us, that you would fill us again. And I thank you for every man, woman, and child in this room. And I pray today that your good desire for their life, your desire to not withhold from them or to trick them or to leave them, but instead to form them and to rescue them and to sustain them, would be experienced in the room. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Okay, hey, so here's the crazy thing about so much of life. There are things that seem so simple, and then you start to engage what you thought was really simple, and the complexity and the depth is overwhelming. Um, An example of that would be maybe about seven or eight years ago, I started bow hunting. 
And on the surface of bow hunting, it's such a simple thing. It's be outside and feed your family and friends with a bow and arrow. And then you start getting into bow hunting and you start to realize that no matter how many years you bow hunt, you're never really going to be an expert about it. Like you could spend the rest of your life being amazed by animals and studying their habitats and thinking about their patterns. And you're always going to learn something new when you start to study what deer do. You're always going to get surprised and shocked and you're, you're never going to get to a place where you reach a level of competency where you're not also a learner. And I say that because that's kind of like the call of discipleship. The call of Jesus to follow him is really simple. It's a call to forsake our sin and trust in Jesus. And yet here's the crazy thing about discipleship. You're never going to exhaust what it means to be a learner and to be a person that's still in process as you follow Jesus in the journey of discipleship. And so what I wanted to do today in Mark chapter one is I just wanted to, to the best of my ability, I wanted to remind us all across the room, wherever you're at, of the call of Jesus. I wanna speak to non-Christians because the call of Jesus is for you today. If you're here and you don't know what you believe or you used to attend church and you fell away or you're questioning your faith, there's some simple things in Mark chapter one that are directed to you, that Jesus is aware of you and he loves you and you're not just here by an accident, you're here because Christ is calling you. And if you're a brand new Christian, which so many of the people in this church are, and we're so thankful that God's saving people and he's adding people. If you're a brand new Christian, you're trying to figure out what does this look like and how do I make it to the end? And how do I cultivate a relationship with Jesus and his people? The call of discipleship is for you. And if you've been a Christian for 60 years, the call of discipleship is the same call to you at the end of your journey of discipleship as it was at the beginning of your journey. So take your Bibles, go to Mark chapter one. I wanna show you five things about the call of Jesus to follow him. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus calls them. Look at verse 16. Now passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I want you to notice that it says he saw them. He saw them. Now, this is totally different than the way that people started following rabbis in the first century. In the first century, rabbis who had these schools of learning would select, that would be selected by their disciples. So if you were a disciple in the first century and you wanted to study under a rabbi, you would sort of do your Ben Franklin sheet, however they did that 2,000 years ago, and you would pick the rabbi that you wanted to learn from. You would sort of apply to his rabbinical school and you would make it known that you wanted to be his student. You would pursue the teacher. And Jesus does something that's radically different. Jesus doesn't wait for these guys to see him. Jesus is the one that initiates the relationship. He's the one that sees Simon and Andrew and later James and John before they even know him. The call of discipleship begins with realizing that Jesus is after you before you're after him. That Jesus sees you and he wants you and he chooses you even before you make a choice to say yes to Jesus. The Bible tells us elsewhere in John chapter 15, verse 16, the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide 
so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Okay, let, let me tell you profoundly good news, whether you've been a Christian for decades or you're not a believer today and you're thinking about saying yes to Jesus, or if you're a new Christian, here's the thing that's so encouraging that should warm your soul. You're not the one that initiates your walk with Christ. He's the one that starts the relationship with you. He sees you. He sees the beautiful parts of your life, the parts of your life that are marked by gold, your talents and your gifts and the experiences of your life that make you unique, the parts of you that you can take good, healthy pride in. And listen, Jesus sees the totality of the shadowy parts of your life and of my life, the places that we've been broken by life, the places where dreams have died, the places where our family of origin might have done their best, but they didn't set us up for a win, the places where we're stuck, the places where we're addicted, the places where we're sinful, where we keep turning away from God. Here's the crazy thing about Jesus. Jesus sees these guys that are gonna make thousands of mistakes and he's the one that looks at them and pursues a relationship for them to know him. In fact, these guys are gonna blow it at every turn, right? Uh, Jesus is gonna have to constantly get onto Peter. Peter is gonna put a foot in his mouth almost every time he says anything for the next three years, right? Peter is actually gonna rebuke Jesus for saying that he has to go to the cross. If you're gonna get something really wrong, you can't get anything more wrong than that, amen? Like, Jesus came to go to the cross and Peter's like, nope, that's not the will of God for you, God. And Jesus gives one of the strongest rebukes ever. He calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, if you're having a conversation with Jesus and he has to pull out calling you the devil, you've made a pretty significant mistake. Later, later, Peter is gonna fall into racism. He's gonna start hanging out only with Jews and neglecting Gentile Christians. He's gonna get rebuked by the apostle Paul for that. He's gonna cut off the ear of a guy that Jesus came to save and heal. Peter is gonna blow it at every turn. And listen, here's what's wild. Jesus in his divinity knows all of those mistakes and all of those sins, all of the pride in Peter's heart, all of the ways that Peter is profoundly limited in his humanity and Jesus sees him and Jesus wants him. Same thing is true for James and John. Uh, Jesus is gonna give James and John the nickname Sons of Thunder, which is like a tongue-in-cheek way of saying you guys are full of hot air, right? They are gonna be the biggest knuckleheads in Jesus's team for three years. Jesus is gonna take these jokers on a missions trip, okay? This is like really blowing it. He's gonna take them on a missions trip, and in the midst of the missions trip, People are gonna be rejecting Jesus and James and John are gonna walk up to Christ and be like, hey, we've got an idea. Why don't you let us call down an airstrike from heaven and we'll just have these jokers burned up and destroyed. And Jesus is like, you guys, you don't even know why I came. They're gonna make mistakes at every turn. They're actually gonna ask their mommy to ask Jesus for special favors that they could have special privileges in the kingdom of God. Like, it's one thing to be arrogant and prideful. It's another thing to be a mama's boy. But when you combine the two, that's not winning. And listen, 
Jesus knows all of that about them and he loves them and he sees them and he wants them. And I just want to say, like, maybe you're thinking about saying yes to Jesus and you're feeling disqualified or you're feeling like he wouldn't want to be with a person like you or your past is too dark or your sins are too profound. I want you to know that he knows you more deeply than you know yourself and he wants you. And maybe today you feel like this week was marked by failure. You feel like your walk with Jesus is not on track or you don't feel your affections being stirred and you just prayed these prayers and sung these songs and you didn't feel any of it. The thing about our Savior is that he still sees you, he still wants you, he still loves you, and the fuel for your discipleship is not that you were a really good person that got into this relationship because you found Jesus, but because you were a really lost person that couldn't find him, he came and found you. Discipleship starts with Jesus. Secondly, number two, I want you to see that he calls them, but he calls them to himself. Look what happens in verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me, follow me. Now, this is really important because what Jesus calls his disciples to 2,000 years ago and what he calls his disciples to today is not just an abstract theology. It's not just a philosophy of life. It's not just a school. It's not a system of formulas or rules or life hacks external to him. What Jesus calls his people to is a vibrant life of actually knowing him, walking with him, learning to hear his voice and learning to love him. And what I wanna say is that the call of discipleship is not just learning data, it's not just information, it's actually stepping into a relationship of communion where through the Holy Spirit, we start to cultivate a deeper friendship with Jesus as we get to walk with him. These guys are gonna get intimate friendship with Jesus for three years. They're gonna camp with Jesus. They're gonna fish with Jesus. They're gonna eat with Jesus. They're gonna have times of asking Jesus questions. They're gonna be really close to the level of best friends with Christ. And in the midst of that, their lives are gonna be changed. And what I want you to see today, what I wanna remind you of, whether you've been a Christian for decades or you're thinking about becoming a Christian today, is that the journey of discipleship is not something external to a relationship with Jesus. At the heart of it, is learning to be with him that in his presence we might be transformed. And what I love, man, what I love about your church is that you guys are serious about the resurrection reality that Jesus is the one that we get to know, love, and follow. Tim was mentioning today that community groups are starting up. Well, the, the point of a community group is not just to sort of have a support group to help you in life, although that it, it is that, the point of a community group is as you break bread and share your life and learn to confess sin and open your Bibles and learn to pray, these are all places in which you actually get to meet with Jesus to be changed by him. When we study scripture and we learn to open his word and we learn to cultivate distance of, disciplines of prayer and silence and come into church, these are not just things that we do because we want to get gold stars and earn something from God. That's not the point. These are things that we do because Jesus is actually alive. And what we need today, what we need today is the same thing that these guys needed 2,000 years ago. We need to hear the voice of our master. We need to hear him. We need to be led by him and shaped by him, and we need to walk with him. So the heart of discipleship is not just information with our heads, although doctrine's important and study's important, 
But doctrine and study and prayer and attending church and being in a community group are all places in which we get to encounter the reality of the living Jesus and be changed. Following Jesus is not like reading the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr. or studying the life of Abraham Lincoln or reading a biography of a great teacher that lived a long time ago and then died and you're trying to absorb some information to make your life better. Following Jesus is a dynamic relationship where through the Spirit of God, he moves into your life to be closer than a brother, to walk with you, Today, at the end of our service, we're going to have time to receive the Lord's Supper. And I want to remind you in this moment that there's a fresh invitation from Jesus to be aware of his presence through the Holy Spirit in this room, whether you feel it today or not, to actually come back to the heart of discipleship, which is walking with him, knowing him and loving him. Thirdly, so he sees them. He's the initiator. He calls them to himself. Thirdly, he calls them for himself. He calls them for himself. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. The call of discipleship is not just a call to experience personal transformation, to love Jesus and be changed by Jesus and then only hang out with him and only hang out with other people that love him and obey him. The call of discipleship 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago and today is a calling to not just come towards Jesus as he comes towards you, but to also be sent by Jesus into the place that we work and the place that we live to become fishers of men, to be about his mission. And what starts to happen in the Christian journey is if we have the calling of Jesus to him, but not the calling of Jesus for him on mission, we start to become stagnant. We went on a bike ride yesterday where uh, Tim sabotaged some of his friends and people that hadn't been on long bike rides. Tim just decided to show them his great compassion by trying to break his community, destroy his friends. It was amazing. It was, it was very cruel leadership. I'm not judging your heart, just the outcome. And uh, we went on this long bike ride. And at one point on the bike ride, we, we got to see all kinds of beautiful stuff and flowing rivers. But at one point we got to pass this pond that didn't have anything flowing into it or flowing out of it. Did you notice the pond? And it just stunk to high heaven. It was stagnant, it was gross, it's not a place that you would want to swim. And what can start to happen if we're not following Jesus on mission in our community, thinking about our family members that don't know him and our coworkers that don't know him and our neighbors that don't know him, we over time can start to look like that pond that's learning stuff about Jesus and wanting to be with Jesus and we with Jesus's people, but we're not giving away the goodness of Jesus to the world and we start to become internally focused. Now, if we try to live a life of being for Jesus but not being with Jesus, that's also gonna set us up for really bad things. We're trying to do the works of Jesus in the flesh. We're trying to share the good news of Jesus with others when we're not enjoying the good news of Jesus for ourselves. The call of discipleship is a calling to actually say yes to his mission, not to become a full-time pastor, because listen, in this room, every person that said yes to the call of discipleship is a full-time minister of the gospel. Some of you guys get paid by working in the business industry that you're a part of, or by being a teacher, or your job is being a stay-at-home mom, but every person in this room that said yes to Jesus 
is a part of the priesthood of all believers, and you are called to him and for him. And that may not be you being the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. You might not win a thousand people to Jesus. We've got evangelists in the room. I'm thinking of my friend Ian who just leads people to Jesus all the time. That may not be how God's created you and wired you, but there is not a single Christian that's called to him and not called for him on mission. To cultivate one friendship this year, one friendship this year with somebody that doesn't know him, to share the good news of Jesus would be a beautiful and profound thing for this community. So discipleship, number one, it starts with Jesus seeing them and calling them to himself. In addition, it's Jesus calling them for himself on mission. And fourthly, this is where it gets difficult. This is where the rub of discipleship hits. His calling shifts all of their priorities and all of their allegiances. Look at verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat minding their net, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Okay, this is really crazy. Um, now, in our day and age, it's not a huge deal to switch careers or to move away from family. But 2,000 years ago, in a Jewish community that was all about heritage, that was all about your relatives and inheriting a trade from your father, for your father to be a fisherman and discipling you into the family business, apprenticing you to be a fisherman, for some other person to call you away from that trade and for you to leave your father in the midst of the workday was a profoundly unsettling thing to the Jewish imagination. What Jesus is doing in this moment, this is crazy, he's calling these disciples to him and as he calls them to him, all of their values, all of the markers of identity that have been so important to them for all of their life, their career and their family, and even their identity as Jewish men being apprenticed into a profession, all of those things, though not erased, get pushed into being distant second to the primary allegiance of their life, which is, he's my rabbi. Where he goes, I go. What he says, I do. And what starts to happen with these disciples over the next three years is they learn, with lots of failure and lots of setback, to hold the rest of their lives with open hands as they hold on to the gospel of Jesus really tightly. Jesus is gonna say elsewhere in Matthew chapter 10, these really hard words. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. Hey, listen, Jesus doesn't always call people to leave their family when they meet him. He doesn't always call people to leave their jobs when they meet him. It's not bad to have family. It's not bad to have a job. But every disciple that Jesus has ever called to him has to reckon with a kind of relationship with Jesus that relativizes all of our other allegiances and priorities as in second place after saying yes to him, where he becomes Lord. 
and that's true of our political parties, and that's true of our careers, and that's true of our relationships, and it's true of our possessions, that all those things that have their place and can be really beautiful and can be really important, they start to get pushed into the sidelines of what's primary in our lives. I, uh, I got to spend a year in India growing up. I, I love India. I love visiting there. We're planning a church in the city of Mumbai right now with some dear friends of mine. And one of the things that's always been interesting in engaging my Hindu friends is that many of my Hindu friends have prayed a prayer of surrender to Jesus. And they've, they've seemed to cross the line of faith. Time goes by and you go to their house and a lot of Hindu families have a cabinet that they store their household gods. And when they open the cabinet, you see various statues of all kinds of gods. You might see Ganesh or you might see Shiva. You might see all kinds of various deities that they worship and pray to. And a lot of times what will happen is people will hear the good news of Jesus and they'll take a crucifix or another, another symbol of the Christian faith and they'll add that to their cabinet of gods where Jesus becomes one of the gods that they pray to. And what I want you to see today is that that's not just a temptation for Hindus, that's a temptation for humans. That we can find our identity and our meaning and our ultimate joy in our jobs or our families or our kids or our marriages or our personal freedom. And the call of discipleship again and again and again is to turn from all of the other gods of our life and say yes to Jesus and to allow him to define us and him to be in charge. The calling of Jesus is to say yes to him. Yes to him. And this leads to the last thing I want to show you. Number five, this is so important. His calling into discipleship invites them into a team, a family, and a friendship. Jesus doesn't call these brothers into a relationship with him that's solo, just me and Jesus. He calls them into a community. They become a part of the 12. And for the next three years, the 12 is going to cultivate friendship with one another and friendship with Jesus. They're going to share mistakes and failures. They're going to share beautiful moments, testimonies, and miracles. And as time goes on, Jesus is going to die on a cross. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and that little community is gonna be transformed from just spiritual friendships built around Jesus to the church of Jesus Christ. And they're gonna continue to share life. They're gonna break bread together in acts, in homes. They're gonna gather together for teaching. They're gonna share life and confess sin. They're gonna rub up against each other in all kinds of ways. And it's easy to look back at the early church and read something like Acts chapter two, which is about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people giving up possessions and doing life together and being on mission and to have this idealistic version of the early church that it was just always smooth and hunky-dory. But the reality is this, the community that Jesus called those disciples to was really imperfect. In his little team, he had a guy who was essentially a zealot, meaning his tribe of people were willing to use violence to overthrow Rome. He had another guy that was a tax collector, meaning that guy was willing to sell out fellow Jews to fund the the Roman occupation. He had guys that were rough blue-collar fishermen. He had guys that were white-collar business people. And in that community, from jump, there's all kinds of conflicting personalities and values and difficulties, and there's fights and there's friction and there's difficulty. 
And even after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when the church gets launched in the world, what we see as we read the New Testament is not a perfect idealized version of the church. What we see is that the church of Jesus Christ on this side of heaven is a community of difficulty and of friction where as we rub against each other, the smoke that we start to smell is the invitation of Christ to experience his grace and to give his grace to others. This church is two years old, two years old. It's just getting started. It's just the very beginning. And it's so easy in the beginning of a church plant to have this idealistic version that it's always gonna be great. It's always gonna be exactly what we want. But the reality is, the reality is, on this side of heaven, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll run it. There is no such thing as a church on this side of glory that's not full of broken, sinful people that need God's grace and have to offer God's grace. And when Jesus calls us into a community, he doesn't call us into a community to have a snapshot of what it should be, to judge it and to critique it. He calls us to be a participant that we might love and serve each other and in so doing, be transformed. I remember when I planted Frontline Church in 2005, I had this snapshot of what it was gonna be like, how we were gonna operate and what our people would be like and what our members would be like. And then I planted the church and now 16 years later, not for one second have we ever looked like my idealized version of what we were gonna be. We're always messier. We're always weaker. Our leaders fail way more frequently than what I thought we would. There's always more conflict. There's always more disappointment. There's always people who are rubbing each other the wrong way. And what I've come to see in the last 16 years is that that's actually the gift of God to invite us into change. That's where we grow. That's where we repent. That's where we start to give each other grace in the ways that Jesus has given us grace. So I wanna remind you, that there is no such thing as discipleship that's a solo relationship between me and Jesus. All discipleship is participation in his church that we might grow and share life, not with a perfect group of people, but with a real group of people. And my prayer for you today, my prayer for you today, if you're thinking about following Jesus, is that you would know that right now in this moment, he sees you past, present, and future, and you're not here by accident. You're here because he loves you and he wants you. There's nothing you could do or have done that would disqualify you from his pursuing love because his blood on the cross is enough to cleanse us of everything we've done and everything we should have done that we didn't do. And he invites you to come today and to trust him. He's calling you to him, not just a religion, not just a philosophy, but a relationship of trust in which he becomes Lord and all other priorities and values become second to him. And he's calling you to give your life away on mission, whatever your J-O-B is, whatever your vocation is in the world, to see yourself as a participant in the mission of God, to see transformation and renewal happen in this city, to see more people meet him and more lives transformed, and to not for one second think that you can follow Jesus in isolation, but to say yes to his calling to follow him in a community of people who are imperfect just like you, <laughs> in need of God's grace, just like you, but who together, who together reflect more fully the beauty of what the gospel does as it changes human beings. 
So if you would join with me, I wanna pray for you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. And just for a second, there's nothing magical about bowing our heads and closing our eyes, but sometimes it helps us to do some heart work. And I just wanna ask you today, with nobody looking around, if you're here today, and you feel the invitation of Jesus to return to him. Maybe you walked away as a kid or maybe you got really hurt and disappointed in church. And the invitation of discipleship to you today is a return to trusting in Christ. If that's you, we wanna pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. And the invitation today is to trust him. You don't have to have every question answered about doctrine and church and theology to trust in Jesus. You just have to have the first and most important question answered. Is he Lord and did he die and rise from the dead? And will you give your life to him? And maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded after years of following Jesus of the simple reality of discipleship, which is walking with him and walking for him in a group of people that are learning to prioritize his lordship above all things. So respond to him today. Give him your yes today. You can trust him. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in this room that your powerful, life-giving grace, grace that's ours by grace, faith in Jesus, that that grace would capture us again, would compel us again, would lead us to enjoying the assurance of the gospel again. And that that grace would lead us out of here between Sundays to look at our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers with new eyes to remember that it's not just Tim's calling to be on mission in this part of the world, but it's our calling to be on mission in this part of the world. And I pray that you would fill them today and that you would bless them today and that you would keep them today in the name of Jesus.